You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. How many times in this podcast, in my Thursday morning videos, how many times have you heard me use phrases like having the life that you would love to live or having a life full of the experiences that you would love to have in your life? How many times have you heard me use the phrase all good things and how all good things flow to people who are in flow? How many times have I quoted online program owners and they tell me that good things fall into their lap or it feels like the best things just happen for them? What does the best for you actually mean? What does the phrase all good things actually mean? What does it look like in practice? Now, for a start, a number of people have said to me over the years that they really would love to be the best version of themselves. And as I point out to them, yes, there are a couple of versions of you. There's the real you, and there is the conceptual self. How many times have we talked about the conceptual self and how it is nothing more than a bundle of thoughts that together give you a false impression of who you might really be. So when people use the expression to me, the best version of me, I keep telling them, there's only one true you, and it isn't a version, it is who you are. How many times indeed have you heard me use the expression, discovering who you are? Or more recently, I've used the expression, discovering what you are pure energy. We can talk about that in depth at some point, but I want to talk this morning in this podcast episode about the practicalities of what does the best mean? What does all good things falling into your lap actually look like, feel like? From a practical point of view, all I need to do is turn to some Actually, I could turn to all of my online program owners, but that would fill more than a couple of episodes of this podcast. So I want to turn to some of my online program owners and one or two of my older clients who've been around since way before the online program. I want to start with one of those old clients, a guy who had an idea that he would love to work in executive recruitment at the highest level in one of the big executive recruitment consultancies. Now, he had this feeling inside him, even when he was working in financial services, because he knew deep down he wasn't a finance person. He knew he was a people person. And he knew that he had, in his own words, a humble gift. He wasn't that humble, but that's the way he described it. He had a humble gift that he could offer other people to enable them get the kind of 
jobs that they wanted. Now, we won't go into what we've talked about before with regard to wanting this, that, or the other. I'm just using the language that he used. The next thing that happened to him was that he was made redundant from the financial services company he was working for. And I said, well, there you are. There's your opportunity. Now you can go and offer your humble gift to a few people. He said, but how do I do that? I said, well, for starters, you could do it in a small way whilst you're on gardening leave, because that's what happened when he was made redundant. You could start offering your services around town on a self-employed basis. Make a bit of a name for yourself. And that's what he started doing. But again, he had this feeling within, a feeling that he knew it would be best for him, that it would mean to him something along the lines of all good things, if he was offering this at the highest level. This is a long time ago. This is back when the Rugby World Cup was being played in Ireland. I can't remember when that was, and I know I was at a match in what was Lansdowne Road at the time, where Ireland were within a hair's breadth of beating Australia, I think in the quarterfinal of the Rugby World Cup. can't remember the details, but what I do remember is that Australia scored a try at the death, and that was the beginning of a long run, or if possibly was in the middle of a long run, of Ireland never getting beyond the quarterfinals in the Rugby World Cup. All good things have obviously not come to them yet because clearly they're not a team in collective flow. That's an interesting concept. Um, a concept that I think I'll come back to at some point along the way because certainly you can see teams in collective flow performing at a very high level in sports. But it also works in the business world and it obviously works in the family world as well because really a family is a collective team, isn't it? It's not a group of individuals, although most families actually end up behaving that way, but that's another day's work. Anyway, I have digressed, but it's an important digression, like all the digressions that I make, I suppose. Anyway, this guy was invited to a corporate box for that match in the Rugby World Cup in Dublin. Now, I do not know who in their right mind would go to a rugby match in a cream suit? But that's what he did. And he was in the corporate hospitality tent about an hour before kickoff, sipping or perhaps gulping his first pint of Guinness, when somebody in front of him turned around very quickly, elbowed him, and the pint of Guinness went all down his cream suit, jacket and trousers. And the two of them looked at each other. Now, the normal reaction, you know what the normal reaction to something like that would be. But the two of them ended up laughing. Nothing could be done about it at that stage. It wasn't as if the guy had done it deliberately. And they had a brief chat and went their separate ways. An hour later, they sat down in a stadium of 51,000 people beside each other and got talking. And at half time, my friend, jacket and trousers still obviously stained, was offered a job as a partner in one of the top three executive recruitment consultancies in Dublin by the guy who'd spilled the pint over him. Now, the interesting thing about that is that the coincidence or synchronicity started with him not reacting. Now, every synchronicity starts with us not reacting. And that is why when we're using our minds normally, 
we'll never experience synchronicities. We will, from time to time, perhaps, if we have our head even half screwed on, realize that there's the odd opportunity going. But we won't see the synchronicities for what they are because we're not in flow. This guy was in flow. He didn't react. He acted. There's a world of difference between acting and reacting. When we're using our minds normally, we can never act because of the way the automatic pilot employs thoughts from a different time in our lives to enable us to make sense and in the process make nonsense of what is going on in the here and now. And that's what we react to. And it's all an automatic process. Only people in flow act. Only people with presence act. And only people with presence in flow recognize the synchronicity for what it is and as a result of how they act, become a co-creator in where the synchronicity leads them. It's a very important point. We're not floating in a sea of opportunity. We're creating the flow or we're co-creating the flow in the sea of opportunity in which we find ourselves. As I said a few weeks ago, we are co-creators of our own reality. There are a couple of important points in relation to the story I've just told you. The most important point being that we do not know the day nor the hour when we are going to experience a life-changing synchronicity. People have often said to me that they need to be in flow when it's important. It's potentially important all of the time. A number of years ago, I spoke at a conference in the Excel Centre in London, down beside London City Airport. It was the Human Resource Development Conference. And I made my little speech, and you know what I was talking about. I was talking about presence and flow and obviously managing your own state of mind. And afterwards, I was walking around the exhibition and somebody came up to me and said, that was a great speech you gave in relation to being present when it's important. I said, that's not what the speech was about. The speech was about being present, full stop, because we never know when it is important. I'll give you another example of that in relation to a client of mine. Again, we're talking about many, many years ago. Who got up one morning, showered, dressed himself in his best suit and tie, and went out and hopped into his car to go off to meet who he thought was going to be potentially his most important business client. He turned the key in the ignition. The car was dead. It was Dublin. It was pouring rain. He went inside and changed into something more suitable for the meteorological conditions, came back out and ran to the closest bus stop and stood there. And stood there. And stood there some more. We're talking about Dublin buses. He was already late for his appointment. He got talking to a drenched fellow traveller standing beside him in the queue. And he said to her, do buses ever arrive at this bus stop? She said, oh, yeah, yeah, just give it time. One will turn up eventually. They got talking to each other. And in the course of the conversation, it turned out that she worked for somebody who, after she introduced her employer to my friend, turned out to be his biggest and most important client. The important event that day was at the bus stop in the rain. It wasn't the meeting that he thought was important. We never know the day nor the hour. I've often quoted Anthony DeMello or Tony DeMello. 
I often quote his book, Awareness. And I often quote the fact that on the very first page of that little book, small pages, large print, he uses the phrase, wake up three times. Now, I would make the point that we don't just need to wake up, we need to stay awake. Now, we know how to do that. We're not talking about getting out of bed and uh, wakening up in the ordinary sense of the word. I'm talking about waking up to the reality of who you are, the true you in flow in the here and now, and staying awake. We do that through meditation. We do that through calling ourselves to mind. In other words, reminding ourselves during the course of the day so that we're ready when opportunity knocks or when opportunity phones. I had an interesting conversation with one of my very first online program owners. It's probably four years ago, four and a half years ago at this stage. I've been talking with this girl a couple of times, one-to-one. And after we had a conversation in relation to not caring anymore, it's something that I have referred to in some of my podcast episodes and videos recently. I'm not talking about not caring. I'm actually talking about not worrying, not having a care in the world, which is the equivalent of not worrying. We had a conversation along those lines. And at the end of the conversation, she said, there were a couple of things that were troubling me before we had this conversation. And now I'm going to let them go. And the way I'm going to let them go completely is I'm going to go out for a stroll. I'm going to turn my phone off. In fact, actually, she said, I'll leave it here. An hour later, I got a phone call from her. And she said, I've just come back from my walk. She said, mindless individual that I am, because I've only started out on this journey. Mindless individual that I am. She said, I forgot to turn my phone off. And out of pure habit, or perhaps impure habit, I brought the phone with me. And I was out strolling, and I got a phone call. She said, I need to give you a backstory in relation to this. This girl was, still is, a management consultant. And a number of years previously at a major conference, it happened to be the Irish Management Institute annual conference, she bumped into this particular chief executive and she said to herself, she didn't say it to him, she said to herself, oh God, I'd love to do some work with this individual. He's a high flyer and I reckon he's a great leader or could be an even better leader if I did some work with him myself. That was four or five years previous to her going out for a walk after our conversation. He rang her. He rang her out of the blue after a gap of four years. He rang her to ask her, would she do some work with his leadership team? Now think of the coincidences or synchronicities involved. First of all, she decided to act after our conversation, rather than react to the things that had been troubling her beforehand, the action she decided to take, the best thing that she could do at that moment in time, she felt, was to go out for a walk. Now, I've used an important phrase there. She felt it. She didn't think about it. It felt right. It felt that that was the most important thing that she could do at that moment in time. Now, I'm going to pause for a second to take a very important diversion. We will always do the right things 
if we don't have time to think about it. When we fall asleep at night, our thinking mind falls asleep. And therefore, before we fall asleep at night, we should interrogate or prime our subconscious mind to provide us with answers that will lead us forward in the direction that is best for us, where all good things fall into our lap, so to speak. And therefore, I often suggest, or probably always at some point, suggest to my online program owners that before their head hits the pillow at night, they should ask themselves, what's the next most important thing I need to do? Now, some smart Alex said to me a few months ago, oh, surely at that time of night, the next most important thing I need to do is go sleep. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about priming your subconscious mind. Now, sorry, priming is a psychological mechanism that we can use to literally prime the most important part of our brain, our subcortical brain. You're priming yourself so that while you sleep, the subconscious mind will get its ducks in a row and provide you with an answer, generally speaking, the following morning. I said this to a guy, a client, again, a long time before the online program, a number of years ago in Dublin. And I said to him, if you have an important decision to make or a problem that you can't seem to solve, ask yourself before you go to bed, what's the answer? And he said, oh, I already know what you're talking about. He said, sometimes if there's something addling me he said before I go to bed at night I'll say you know what's the solution to this answer on my desk first thing in the morning he actually says that to himself and lo and behold he generally speaking gets the answer now he didn't obviously know the science behind that at the time and there is quite a bit of science behind it but it's important that we prime our mind to ensure that we not only are awake all the time but that in being awake and in being aware that we know what the right thing is to do. Now, the interesting thing about the question I have suggested is it's a very open question. You might get an answer to a question that you didn't think you'd asked. I'll leave that hanging there for now. If you have any questions in relation to it, do please let me know. We were talking about the practicalities of all good things flowing all good things falling into your lap. The practicality of living the life that you would love to live. The practicality of wandering around free from the conceptual self, flowing through life as the true you. And as I said, the best way I could do this is actually talk about some of my program owners. Let's go for another one. There's one particular lady with whom I worked a number of years ago. Actually, this girl is not a program owner. I uh, met her as a result of a referral by somebody else. And I only met her on the telephone. Never saw this girl. Um, it was before Zoom. So we arranged to have six one-hour conversations. She rang me for the first conversation. And the very first words out of her mouth, they weren't hello or is that Willie Horton or uh, am I ringing at the right time or anything like that. The very first words out of her mouth were, I am obese. It, obviously, it was something that was troubling her or addling her. They're the very first words she said to me. At the end of the first 60 minute consultation, she said, you never reacted to the very first words I said on this call. I said, that's right. There's no point in giving any energy to what you said. She said, we only talked about meditation 
for the last 60 minutes. I said, that's right. And between now and our next call, that's all you really need to do. Make sure that you meditate every morning. Two weeks later, we had our second call. She said, I don't know what happened to me. I don't know what you did to me. I stopped her before she went any further. And I said, I didn't do anything to you. I only made a couple of suggestions to you. I, if you like, gave you a signpost. And perhaps you have taken the first steps along the road that, in the direction that that signpost points. She said, the following weekend, after we had our first conversation, I had to drive from the south coast of England to where my son is studying in Edinburgh, Edinburgh University. And she said, normally, when I take that long round trip, she said, I will fill up the passenger seat with M&Ms and Mars bars, a few Snickers and jelly babies and the like. And she said, by the time I get back, the passenger seat is a rubbish tip. She said, I arrived back in the driveway of my house last Sunday night. And I looked around at the passenger seat and realized I had forgotten to buy my treats. What did you do to me? I said, I didn't do anything to you. What has happened is that you have started to act instead of react in a patterned way that fed the habit, that fed your weight. Now, I didn't actually say, I didn't use the word weight. I was very careful to ensure that we didn't talk about obesity at all. It's like giving up cigarettes. If you say to yourself, I'm going to give up cigarettes, the subconscious mind hears the word cigarettes. Uh, we had a conversation about that in a recent episode where I said, you know, you need to be careful what language you use because the subconscious mind is listening. The headline in the sentence, I want to give up cigarettes, is to the subconscious mind, cigarettes because that's the habit. Anyway, a couple of weeks later, we had our third conversation. And she said, I really don't know what you did to me. She said, the weight is falling off me. Nothing changed other than her state of mind. And as we know from recent conversations, when you take control of your state of mind and tune your mind in, your mind will look after your body, healthy mind, healthy body. It is a classic example of something that she had been fighting for years just happening. Now, she said to me, it feels like it's just happening. She was taking action. That's the key thing. So when people say to me, and when I pass it on to you, that, oh, something just fell into my lap, or it feels like something just happened. That actually is not what has happened at all. What has happened feels effortless as a result of action, which is effortless. The effort in doing anything only comes from either thinking about doing it and possibly putting ourselves off doing it and, or procrastinating and then feeling guilty about procrastinating or trying to do something through thinking that it is something difficult that we have to do. That's where effort comes about. If I'm totally in flow and in the zone, everything I do becomes effortless. Now, neuroscience has a really interesting take on that. A piece of research done a number of years ago showed that the people who were in the right frame of mind performing a task, and they knew why they were performing the task, and they knew how they would feel having successfully accomplished the task, there are three or four ingredients in that sentence that I've just uttered. 
They were the people who used almost no neural energy to effortlessly perform something much quicker than people who didn't have all those ingredients involved in their action. Listen, listen to what I said. They were present. In other words, they meditated before performing the task. Number two, they were told why they were performing the task. As I've said to you in our recent Thursday morning videos where we started by talking about why you need to meditate. If you don't know why you're doing something, it becomes incredibly difficult to do it. So the people in that experiment knew why they were doing the task, were prepared to turn up to do the task as a result of a meditation just before doing it, and they'd set their minds to the outcome. We talked about setting our coordinates a couple of weeks ago. They had set their minds to know what they'd feel like, the satisfaction they would get out of successfully completing the task. They're the key ingredients and they apply to anything and everything. So there's my friend, now apparently fitting into a size eight dress. Let's go for another one. Somebody else with whom I had a set of telephone conversations a number of years ago again before Zoom, she talked about how she was estranged from her two daughters for many, many years. They were two adult daughters at this stage. I didn't get the details. I didn't want to know the details. What was the point in her dragging up crap from the past? All I wanted to do was let her say what her heart desired. In other words, let what was rattling around in her head come out into the world, out into the universe. That's why it's so important to articulate things, to get them off your chest, so to speak. And this lady got this particular thing off her chest very quickly in our first conversation. She said, it isn't just that I haven't spoken to my two daughters in a number of years. When last we spoke, it was very acrimonious. And she said, you talk about all good things falling into your lap. The one best thing that I would love to fall into my lap is to sit down with my daughters and have a lovely fireside chat. I said, you need to set your coordinates. You need to set your mind to that, which she did. And we talked about that over the course of our recent open Zooms. We talked about how to do that in the third of our three longer Thursday morning videos, how to set your mind. About three weeks later, we had our second conversation. And she said, out of the blue, last Wednesday, I got a phone call from my elder daughter. And she said, myself and my sister were chatting. And she said, we both thought it would be a lovely idea if we could meet somewhere on neutral ground to have a cup of tea, a cup of coffee and a cake. She said, last Sunday afternoon, we had afternoon tea in this little inn, about an hour from where I live, sitting by a roaring fire. We had our fireside chat. What had happened? She had poured her energy into that happening by setting her mind. Now, when we're using our mind normally, our energy goes nowhere. It goes down the black hole of our own thoughts. It stays within. When we are in flow, when we are present, 
our energy flows out into the universe and creates a ripple effect. That's not some fanciful idea. That is how quantum physics describes the impact that our subtle energy has on the energy field that is the vibrating universe. There's a whole science now called the science of subtle energy, which is worth delving into at some point along the way. My energy, your energy, part universal energy has an impact on universal energy. Now, there are all kinds of implications in relation to what I've just said. But from the perspective of looking after me, in other words, you, from the perspective of looking after ourselves so that we are present enough, aware enough, and in flow enough to look after those around us and those we love, they will pick up on the subtle energy. Nobody knows, because they never discussed it, why the elder daughter picked up the telephone. What prompted her to pick up the telephone? I know what prompted her to pick up the telephone. It was the energetic signals that were being transmitted. Uh, I actually mean that literally, transmitted by her mother. If we're using our minds abnormally, if we're present and focused, we're transmitting all the time. But not only are we transmitting, we are receiving. We have our antennae up. That is how, as I said earlier on in this episode, that's how we spot and recognize synchronicities. Give you two more examples. These are both from the same individual. An online program owner who is a commercial airline. A number of years ago, he flew in the Far East for one of the commercial airlines there and in the process moved to Hong Kong. Now, he didn't know the language. He didn't know the city. And if he went out for a tram in the morning, he didn't know which side of the street to stand on because he didn't know which was the tram into town and which was the tram out of town. His move to Hong Kong hit a couple of stumbling blocks on the day of the move to the extent that he got into his new apartment at about 11 o'clock at night and slept on the floor amongst all his moving boxes. He got up the following morning. He had a meeting in the city centre. He was rushing out the door when he said to himself, no, I, I actually feel, that's an important word, I actually feel that it would be better for me to have a cup of coffee before I go out. Now, it took him quite a while to find his coffee machine in the boxes, so he didn't leave for another three quarters of an hour. He ran to the tram stop and walked up to this girl and said to her, which side of the street do I stand on to go into town? She said, you stand where I'm standing. I'm going into town as well. They got chatting. He had met his wife. Now, what action was involved there? The action of having the cup of coffee because it felt right. It wasn't something that he thought of. It is something that felt right, that started the ball rolling on a chain reaction of synchronicities that led him to where he is now, many years later, still in love with the same woman. He told another story to our online Zoom for program owners a number of months ago where one night he was flying over the Atlantic, flying to Boston. And 
in the quiet of the cockpit in the middle of the night, his mind drifted off to someone who had been one of his closest friends during his university years. But they had gone to two separate ends of the world, had lost contact, had lost contact over a period of about 20 years. He landed in Boston, got a cab into the city centre, checked into his hotel, decided he'd go for a walk for a breath of fresh air, came out the front door of the hotel and walked slap bang into the individual who had come to mind during the course of that long overnight flight. How does that happen? What action did he take? Well, the action that he took was walking out the door of the hotel. That's the really interesting thing. Again, it felt like something he should do. I'm going to come back to what I mean by that in just a minute. It was prompted. He didn't know it because this is all happening at a subconscious level. It was prompted by the subtle energy and the flow and the transmission and reception of subtle energy that is going on all of their time. It is a tiny little example of how our universe actually works. On the one hand. On the other hand, it is a grand example because it is in the tiny little moments of everyday life that these things are happening. As I said to you earlier on, we don't need to wake up. We need to stay awake because we don't know the day nor the hour when something really important is going to fall into our lap. Now, I've used the word felt or the phrase, it feels right, a couple of times. Some people will mistake that for just going with the flow or something just happening automatically. It's not going with the flow. It is being in and co-creating the flow. It's a different thing altogether. It is the exact opposite of automatic behavior because automatic behavior comes from the looped thinking of the normal crazy mind, whereas doing something that feels right comes from our intuition or our gut instinct. In other words, the part of the mind that isn't thinking, the part of the mind that we, as I've suggested to you, interrogate when you sleep at night. The lesson from all this is that we need, as always, to meditate because we need to turn up, because we need to be present, because we need to ensure that in being present, we take the right action and co-create the flow and synchronicity that will lead us to all good things, that provide us with the life that is best for us right now that enables all good things fall into our lap and things to apparently just happen. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-horton.com.